Thanks. Hi, everybody. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. You're so good. We love you so much. Father, we love you too. And Holy Spirit, we love you. We don't want to leave you out ever. And so we just ask Holy Spirit for you to come and fill this room and exalt the name of Jesus. Impart the truth of the Father, the truth of your word into our hearts today. That we believe that this message is for us, for me, for me, it's for me. Thank you. We exalt you, Jesus. Exalt you. Amen. Those of you that don't know me, I was a math teacher. For 10 years, I taught in the public schools, and math teaching is an interesting profession. I would say it's probably one of the easiest subjects to teach and one of the hardest. Now, math is the easiest subject to teach because it's probably the least amount of prep work, it's the least amount of grading, and it's the easiest, like, in terms of the quantity of knowledge that there is to master in terms of teaching high school. So... A joke amongst teachers is that math teachers would be the ones in the teacher's lounge reading the newspaper. Right? Well, everybody else is, you know, running around preparing some crazy lab with chemicals and an inclined plane and, you know, like all kinds of weird stuff. And, you know, the English teachers are carrying those tote bags home, you know, one in each hand, heavy, full of these term papers. And um, just the quantity of stuff that you have to know. You know, a history teacher, you basically have to know everything that's ever happened, you know, in order to really master your craft. A science teacher... You have to know how every single thing works, from a cell to the whole body to, you know, galaxies and stars and black holes to, you know, atoms and all this crazy stuff. You know, math teacher is just, hey, algebra, geometry, algebra two, and then maybe if you're lucky to teach these things, pre-calc, calc, you know, there's a smaller amount of stuff. And, you know, answers are right and wrong. You know, grading the test, okay, you throw a little partial credit in there, but, you know, it's a totally different ballgame. However... Math, in my experience, was also the most difficult subject to teach. And the reason is because people have issues with math. (laughs) See, a lot of us were going along, you know, just fine, you know, understanding numbers and addition and subtraction. And then all of a sudden, somebody drew this little line and put one number on top, and they put another number below it. And they're like, what is that? And, you know, things, you know, it's kind of like a relationship with math. You know, things started to get a little rocky at that point. And I said, okay, you know, we're going to try to just you know, work things out. And, you know, we'll push through. We'll push through and, you know, you keep going a couple more years. But, man, that, that fraction thing keeps coming back. You know, it's this issue in your relationship with math that just won't go away. So at some point, you just had to break it off with math. You say, you know what, math? This isn't working out. I just think. We're going to have to go our separate ways. And for some students that I had in high school, they had broken up with math 10 years ago. <laughs> there's, there's kindergartners, no joke, that say, oh, I'm not good at math. You know? It's a, now, that's tragic to a math teacher because it's just not true. Everybody's developing at different stages, and, and you know, you, you need help along the way. So by the time I got a lot of my students, it was over. They just didn't think that they could do it. It felt impossible to them. And so the real difficult part of teaching math is not the prep work, it's not the grading, it's not the content of all this knowledge you'd have to know in other subjects. It's how to get students to overcome this issue with math because they think they can't do it. They think it's impossible. 
I think they just don't have what it takes that all these other students can and I can't. When it comes to following Jesus, it's pretty similar to that, isn't it? If we think about the scope of what God is calling us to do on a personal level to overcome all of our own issues, you know, to love even our enemies interpersonally and then somehow make disciples of all nations, that's a pretty high calling. You think about it personally. Some of you, maybe it's an addiction. Uh, a battle with, with some sin that you haven't been able to cover, overcome. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's depression. feels impossible to do what God is telling you to do. Maybe it's interpersonal for you. Maybe the church has been a place where you've been hurt by people. Maybe you've got a coworker that is around you that you just have the hardest time relating to. And Jesus wants you to even love your enemies. Maybe it's in your marriage. It's been a difficult go. Maybe for you it's just being on mission with Jesus. As we talked about evangelism last week. Sharing your faith. You just can't get over fear. Or you just haven't had a whole lot of success. You share and then you get discouraged. How are we supposed to do this whole follow Jesus thing? And get our lives in order and like love people around us and be kind to them. And then also like accomplish this huge task of, of bringing other people into this totally different worldview and this faith that many are antagonistic towards. How in the world are we going to do this? Well, let's turn to the Bible for a minute. We're in our Partying God series. We're talking about how God is a God of extravagant celebration. He really is. He really is. Our whole world is heading towards a giant party in the sky that is actually also going to come to earth. The end of the Bible talks about that. It's this party where Jesus, it compares it to a wedding. Jesus is like the groom and his people are the bride and they're going to be united at the end of all of this and there's going to be a celebration forever. And celebrations are all throughout the Bible, but sometimes we feel like we are not a part of the party right now. Don't we? Personally, interpersonally, on mission with Jesus, God has an answer for this problem where we lack the ability to do something or we feel like it's impossible. So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses in this. If you have a copy of the Bible, you can turn there. It's also going to be up on the screen. I'm reading from the ESV, the extra super version. I think it's something like that. Okay, Acts chapter 1. So, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit. To the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented to himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Thinking Jesus is going to conquer the Romans and 
you know, bring the fullness of all these promises that they had received in the Old Testament in the Torah. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So get going. Okay, how can it be possible to follow Jesus? To do all these things that he's calling us to do. To be the people who he wants us to be. To treat others the way we're supposed to treat them. And to... And to Get his mission going on this earth. The answer in the Bible is that there's power available. There is power available in the Holy Spirit. Party in, party on, party out. We need to receive a party to give a party. There's power available. Now, If you notice in this passage, this is exactly what Jesus did. When we read the Gospels, now this is is Luke part do. Okay, my French, you can tell, is excellent. Acts, the book of Acts is Luke part two. Okay, Luke is writing to this guy Theophilus and explaining carefully all the things that Jesus did and then all the things that his spirit did. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times we miss how Jesus did all the things that he did. It was through the Holy Spirit. Now, Luke, interestingly enough, more than any other gospel, the other three talks about the Holy Spirit's role in leading Jesus. The first time Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit comes down. God says some really awesome stuff to Jesus. And then he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, right? And Luke reaffirms that. Jesus gives them commands. How? Through the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus did not always just play the God card. And he'd say, well, I'm God. So I know everything you're thinking about right now. Oh, I'm God. There you go. You're healed. Oh, I'm God. Boom. You know, turn the water into wine. No. Jesus did it by relying on the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says that he emptied himself in Philippians. Chapter 2, he emptied himself, taking on the likeness of a man. And he set the perfect example for us of how he did all things. It says right here, he did it through the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing we have to see in this. Because if Jesus did it through the Holy Spirit, it makes it a little more possible for us to believe that we can do that too. And so guess what happens? Jesus says that the disciples will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. And what happened? They received power when the Holy Spirit came on them. It happened. And what did they do? They did all the things that Jesus did. They boldly proclaimed the gospel. When the Holy Spirit falls on them in the next chapter in the book of Acts, what happens? All these crazy things happen, and then they go out and they proclaim the word with boldness. And there's like thousands of people that are saved in that day. And all through the book of Acts, what do we see happening? The disciples are led by who? The Holy Spirit, just as Jesus was. If you read Luke-Acts, it's one book, really. It's like, you know, two parts. It's 
by being led by the Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit. If Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit. The disciples relied on the Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit. We need power to overcome our own struggles. We need power to love our enemies, our coworker, even our wives, right? Our husbands, our kids. We need power to do these things. See, Jesus left, and a lot of times that used to make me really sad. It's like, man, if Jesus was still here, I could just go talk to him about all these things that's going on in my life. He said it was better that he would go. It's better because now he's sent us his spirit so we can do what Jesus did. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is kind of a debated topic, okay? So let's go there, right? Why not? The scripture is clear that when we put our faith in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, the Spirit is in you. So let's just keep it simple. The Holy Spirit's in us when we put our faith in Jesus. But we can grow in how we carry the Holy Spirit. We can grow and, and have more intimacy with the Holy Spirit, which allows him to move more in us. The Holy Spirit can, can fall on us in certain circumstances and give us a boost in different areas of our life. This is not just a charismatic, crazy person thing. If you know any church history, D.L. Moody, right? Great evangelical man of God. There was, there was one story about how he was just in his room praying and the Lord fell on him with such power that he had to ask the Lord to stop because he couldn't take any more. Guys, all we're saying is that the, the Holy Spirit, we need more of the Holy Spirit. We can carry more of his presence. That's a little bit of mystery about how that happens. But we see all through the book of Acts, there's this one grand act of the baptism of the Holy Spirit where he falls on the apostles in these tongues of fire. But then continually throughout the book, it says they're filled with the Holy Spirit and then they proclaim the word of God boldly. So we need more. There's more power available to us. And we can always grow in carrying that power. Now, Let's go back to math, because math is awesome. Not a, not a lot of amens there, were there? See? How many of you feel like you were good at math? Let's just do a quick poll of hands. Oh, okay, well, there you go. Flopped. That intro flopped, because half of you raised your hands. Okay, well, it worked for half of you. Okay, so what would it have been like for you if at that point where you got stuck, whether it was in elementary school with fractions or it was algebra one where they stuck a letter on the board and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is about numbers. What is that doing there, right? Or you got all the way to pre-calc and they started talking about sin and costs and tan. What is this stuff? What would it have been like if you just, hey, slow down, and someone had come alongside you and explained everything step by step until you got it? And then you could move on to the next step. See, that's how the Bible describes the Holy Spirit. He's a comforter. He's one that comes alongside of us to help us in our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself helps us in our weakness. And intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words, right? The Spirit comes alongside to give us ability 
power, understanding. He's going to remind us of everything that Jesus spoke. Lead us into all truth. That's in the Bible. That's what it says the Holy Spirit is going to do. Now, if any generation should understand that we need power and that God has given it to us, it should be us. Look at all this stuff. It's got to be plugged in or it won't work. We need power to do these things, and God is telling us it's available. There is power available to us. Our faith unlocks that power. When we believe, it releases the power in us for the Holy Spirit to move. Okay, now, my question is, and I don't know if you have the same one, is why would God wait? If we believe in Jesus and we get the Holy Spirit in us and he's working in us, why would there be different points in our life where all of a sudden God gives us more of his spirit or we're baptized in the spirit or he fills us with his spirit. These different things that the Bible says. Why would God wait? Why would he hold back? Is he, is he holding out on us? Is it, is it like, I mean, if it was me, I would just dump it all on once. Super Christian, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit, never sins again, you know. All right, let's go conquer the world and love everybody. It doesn't seem like God did it that way. And the reason is because the party's a partnership. The power of God comes through a partnership. Because God is all about relationship. Right? Now, Jesus actually grew in his relationship with God. Now, it's not, I don't think we think about that, but the Bible seems to give us indication that that's how it worked. Now, it's obvious that he grew as a person, right? He was a baby. So physically he's growing. It makes sense that emotionally and spiritually as well, he would also be growing. Right? The Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. It also says that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Not that Jesus disobeyed, but he learned to obey at a greater level through the suffering that he endured. It was a, it was a process. There was progress that he made. Not in becoming, you know, less sinful because he had no sin, but it was in maturity to the point of being obedient unto death, even death on a cross. So that should be encouraging to us because God above all else wants a relationship with us. And Jesus was the same way. He grew in favor with God and man. That's right from the Bible. Okay? And God wants to surprise us in different ways. And a relationship involves growth. My wife and I have been married for four years, a little over four years. And we dated long distance, so we didn't really know each other that well when we got married. She was living in California. We went at a wedding in Gloucester and we dated long distance until, you know, we spent probably a couple months together total before we got married and like living in the same area. So there's a lot of growth potential there when we got married because we were kind of strangers, right? One area that we've been hitting on recently is I was not very good at helping out around the house. So I'm, I'm still have a lot of room to improve. Uh, but we can now look back and kind of laugh on the progress that I've made and that we've made in our relationship. I know my wife way better now. I know what she likes. I know, you know, what kind of foods that she likes and doesn't like. I know that it's really hard for her to, uh, 
food is really hard for her right now because our son cannot tolerate dairy that she's breastfeeding. And so she's struggles because she just wants a quesadilla. Okay? You know all these things, and, and there's, there's life in that. If we've just been married and pronounced, and, and it's like, okay, as soon as they say husband and wife, we know everything about each other, then what's, what's left to do? I mean, that's what all we do. We just sit around, and we talk, and we try to figure out what the other person is doing and thinking. And, you know, that's the, that's the challenge and the excitement of, of being in a relationship with someone. It's, I think it's the same for God because he's all about relationship, growth, progress, moving through things with us. And God wants us to be on this journey where we can grow. The Bible says in, in Luke, earlier in Luke part 1, it's in chapter 11, right? God, I'm going to summarize this. God is a good God. If we ask him for bread, he's not going to give us a rock. If we ask him for fish, he's not going to give us a stone. How much more will he give us the Holy Spirit to those that ask? We can grow in carrying his presence. Okay. Another reason that I think that God works this way, we're not just downloaded with everything all at once, is because God wants an invitation. He doesn't barge in on us. He wants to be invited into our life. Notice what Jesus says in the book of Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This letter is written to Christians. It's written to the church. This is not a message to unbelievers, although I'm sure it also applies. But behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would... would Invite me in. I will come in and, and eat with them and he with me or she with me. That's an invitation to fellowship with Jesus. It's an invitation to more filling of the Holy Spirit. And we're taking more of God in us. And another reason I think God does this is because he wants his church to be dependent on each other. If I was super Christian standing up here, I wouldn't need any of you. I can just do it on my own. Right? God wants us to be interconnected, dependent upon each other as we are on Him, and rooted. I mean, now think about this. I don't think this is necessarily the case, but if it was the fact that, you know, as the apostles laid hands on people in the book of Acts, they received the Holy Spirit, I think it can just happen, you know, on our own as well. But if that was the case, then everyone that has the Holy Spirit has been passed down by the apostles themselves. There's a certain rootedness in the family of God throughout history that as we, as we receive the Holy Spirit, as we, as we believe in Jesus, we are a part of this family of God. We're connected through God's Spirit. Okay. The real question then is, how do we get more power? How do we get more power? How do we grow in either being baptized by the Spirit, if that's what you want to call it, or being filled with the Spirit, or just carrying more of God's presence, or or letting His life flow more in you, or as maybe Jesus' words, abiding in Jesus? It's all the same. It's all this idea of remaining in Jesus, letting His life flow in you, being receiving all the love that God is constantly pouring out on us, being filled with His Spirit so that we can reach the world. How do we get more? The first thing to understand is that it's not, did I get it? The question is not, did I get it? Okay, everybody's been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You go on this side of the church. Nobody that's not, you go over there and we'll pray for you. It doesn't really work that way. Okay? It's not, did I get it? 
Do I have it? No, God wants us to be secure in that, hey, you put your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And then it's like, okay, now, now let's grow you to the next place. And let's grow you to the next place. And let's grow you to the next place. The question is, how can I get more? Not did I get it. Okay, that's a, that's a kind of a mistaken idea. The Bible's not giving you that question. God always wants us to be on a journey with him. So there's a couple things we can seek. One is the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit. There are moments when the Holy Spirit comes on us and we feel his presence in different ways. You might have felt it today as you were worshiping in a small way, maybe in a, in a large way. We're not measuring it here. We're just always trying to be open to what God is doing in us. So we can ask God for the Holy Spirit, as we read in the book of Luke. Ask him to give us more of his Holy Spirit. Ask him to help us remain in him or abide in him. But the other thing that we can do is ask for help in kind of aligning ourselves with God's purposes. So, there's a really simple equation that I want to throw out here, which is uh, I, I took from a guy named Jordan Sang. He, he helped plant the Vineyard Church that's in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts. He's now a pastor in uh, Honolulu. And I mentioned this book once, uh, maybe a month ago. The Bakers loaned it to me. But give a really helpful equation to understand um, how we can kind of grow in more authority. And, it, and it's this, okay? You know, math teacher loves this, right? Eating this stuff up. Okay? Power equals... Okay, power equals authority, gifting, sorry, faith, and um, consecration. Okay, authority, gifting, faith, and consecration. As we grow in these areas, we uh, are inviting more of God to fill us. We're abiding more in Jesus, and it allows God's power to be released. Okay? Now, let's, let's break these down real quick. Okay, authority. All right, what that really means is, hey, when we get under God's authority, we have authority. Now, as I said, I was a math teacher. On my own, I have no authority over these kids. I mean, I can try to boss them around and just use my personality or my commanding presence and my teacher's eye, right? To, to, but ultimately, you know, if I have to remove a student from the classroom and they just come back and say, oh, they didn't do anything, there goes my authority right? I only have authority as a teacher because the district has said this person has authority, right? They've said this is our teacher and whatever this teacher says in the classroom, you know, within reason, you need to do, students, because they've been entrusted with authority. As we obey God, as we get under the authority of Jesus in our lives, we obey his word, we grow in power. Amen. See, obedience doesn't, disobedience doesn't separate us from God. That's not what's happening when we disobey. Because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Can you get an amen on that one? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That means my sin cannot separate me from the love of Christ. So what does my sin do? It reduces my power. Right? It doesn't break my connection with God. It just reduces my effectiveness in God's kingdom. And then the devil can use it as a foothold to try to twist my mind and introduce lies that gets me off track. Okay? So we can ask the Lord to help us to grow in obedience. It increases our ability to carry God's spirit, to release his power in the earth. Okay, secondly, gifting. Right? There's diff- the, the, the Lord gives gifts. And in an area of gifting for you, uh, that's a place where you have more power. 
And just God gives a gift. It's all his grace. He just gives it to you. And it's a place where you have more authority to grow. Um, okay, we'll keep going from that area. God also wants us to grow in faith. Faith releases God's power. Right? Jesus talks about it over and over again. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can just speak to a mountain and it'll go jump in the ocean. Right? As we grow in believing that God's word is true and that God's word trumps our experience, it releases the power of God all around us. Okay, the last thing, consecration. This is things that we do. It's not quite like obedience where it's like, okay, don't do the wrong stuff. You know, do what God is saying. This is more like we're setting ourselves apart. You ever wonder why, you know, God gave all these crazy commands to the Israelites in the Old Testament where, like, they weren't allowed to wear clothes made of two different, like, woven together materials? People try to make sense of some of these laws of, like, you know, wear tassels on your garment and don't cut the hair. You know, man, that grows down here, see these long curly things. Sometimes it's just like, okay, why? It's consecration. It's setting yourself apart to say, God, I'm serious about this. I'm serious about seeing your kingdom come on this earth. And I'm willing to do things that maybe are silly or difficult to make that happen. And one of the main things for us is fasting. Man, I hate fasting. Because I like food. And I'm hungry. And I'm skinny. I don't want to be this skinny, right? I'd rather be big and buff. And fasting isn't really going to help me do that. Unless I have some kind of Daniel anointing, you know, where I'd fast and then all of a sudden I still grow bigger. Okay. Sorry, that's a tangent. The point is, the reason we fast is to, is to say, God, I'm serious. It's separating yourself apart to say, God, I want your kingdom to come. I need your food more than I need real food. Because your food actually is the real food. This is a practice that has been in the church for a long time, but many of us do not engage in it. So I have an invitation for you. John Wesley fasted every Thursday night after dinner until Friday, like late afternoon slash dinner time. Hmm, that's interesting. What happened? Great awakening. Any connection there? Okay, yeah, so it's the Holy Spirit moving, but, but we have a part in that. And then for 13 years, he did that on both Wednesday and Friday. And I'm sure there was some longer fast in there. So let me just tell you, I mentioned this a while ago, but I am believing for the greatest awakening to happen in New England. I am believing for the greatest awakening to happen in New England. Why would we live for anything else when we have a big God that can do anything? There's 100 million Christians in China. That wasn't the case 50 years ago, was it? We serve a big God that has big dreams for your life and for this world. And he can do anything. He's looking for people to get under his authority, to recognize their own gifting that he's giving them, to grow in faith and to believe that his word is true, even when your experience doesn't tell it. And he's looking for people to consecrate themselves to his purpose and say, Lord, I cannot do this. It is not the schemes of man that grow God's kingdom. It is the power of his spirit. He's looking for vessels to fill, broken vessels that are humble and say, God, I need help. I need more of your spirit to cleanse me, to make me whole, to help me love the people around me, and to give me boldness and courage to share the gospel. We need his spirit. So my invitation to you is I'm going to start doing this. Thursday after dinner, I will not eat until Friday dinner. 
every week. Because I want to see his kingdom come. And I sense him leading us into this. So, obviously, some of you are not able to abstain from food. You're breastfeeding, like my wife. You are pregnant. You have other, you know, health issues or whatever. Hey, do something else. Eat raw vegetables or only oatmeal. I mean, that would be really bland and hard. So, that's good because that's all it needs to be, right? It just needs to be saying something, hey, God, I'm serious about this. And I'm going to show you by doing something that, that, that is going to impact me a little bit. Now, the other thing I want to throw out there, consecration, is prayer. We've started early morning prayer, okay? It's now going to be, I'm actually shifting it because I'm, I'm putting my day off on Wednesday. Uh, it's going to be Tuesday to Friday, 5.30 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. I will be there. This is an invitation to you. Some of you will start to receive personal invitations from me. Because as we pray, what else could God do but answer? Because we're praying the things that he wants to see happen. And that is consecration. We're, we, it's, we don't have to pray to get God's favor. God loves me. He is crazy about me. I am, I am living in his fog, the favor of God, right, at all times. I'm not earning anything, but I want to see his kingdom come in my lifetime. I want to see the greatest awakening. I want this, this country to be radically transformed and to be 100 million Christians that weren't here yesterday, right, and see it spread all over the nations. Memorizing scripture, totally convicted of this a few weeks ago at Navigate. We had, there was a speaker, she's a, she's a televangelist. So before you condemn them, their name's Marilyn Hickey. And man, she can bring the word. You know why? Because she's memorized 23 books of the Bible. That's consecrating ourselves to God and saying, Lord, your word is more important than everything else I'm sticking in my mind. I am going to memorize it. So this is what I felt like the Lord is telling me to do, is to memorize the book of Mark next year. Right now I'm working on, on Romans 8, and I'm, I'm almost there. And then I'm going to do a portion of Psalm 119 before the year is out. And then I feel like the Lord is saying next year is the year of Mark. You're going to memorize the book of Mark. So you can ask me in a year and a half or a year and a few months how it's going. Hopefully I can stand up here and just start to recite the whole thing. Okay? But that is consecration. It's saying, Lord, your word matters. I want more of your spirit, so I'm going to get your word in me. Because when the word's in me, the spirit can, can give that fire and get out of me. Right? It'll just flow out of me. Okay. We don't have to get crazy about the Holy Spirit. We don't have to debate about how this whole thing happens of, you know, when the Spirit falls and you need to be baptized. No, we need more of the Holy Spirit. And guess what, guys? There is always more power available. We can grow in carrying the power of God. Right? Jesus, someone touched his garment and he felt power flow out of him. That's what we want to happen with us. That's what I want. Paul the Apostle, they didn't even have to touch his clothes. They just brought a handkerchief that he had and it healed someone. They took his handkerchief. Greater things than these you will do. Isn't that interesting that someone touched Jesus' garment and then a cloth was just brought from Paul? Guys, there's, there's always more power available to us. Greater things than these you will do. So, one thing that we need to hear is that God wants us to succeed. He wants us to succeed. He is completely behind us. We are living in the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this is not some triumphalist thing where, hey, everything in life is going to go swimmingly for you. 
The way to understand this is the life of Joseph. Joseph had the favor of God in his life. Everything he touched turned to gold. But he suffered, didn't he? Really greatly. Right? From, from slavery to prison for years before he was, he was finally redeemed out of that. But all along he had favor. Potiphar's house succeeded in the prison. It was like the best run prison in all of Egypt. Because he had favor on his life. That favor is ours, guys. We are in the year of the Lord's favor. We have his spirit. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Right? To preach freedom for the captives. As Jesus says. Right? Joseph, I think, knew he had favor because he was a favored son, wasn't he? He understood all along, through all of his struggles and trials, that he had favor because he understood it with his dad, and so it was a little easier for him with God. Now, I'm just reading that into the text, but I, I surmise that he was able to hold on to the goodness of God in all of that wickedness that he endured because he knew that God was good and he had his favor. The second thing I just want to say is that, hey, God made everything out of nothing. He can certainly work with this. Okay? He just spoke everything into being. He can work with us. There's no one here that is disqualified from being in God's kingdom. When we put our faith in Jesus and say, God, I'm in. I need your help. I need your forgiveness of sin. I need a relationship with you. I need you to rescue me. And I need your help to live this life the right way. You are not disqualified. So let's have the band come back up. If you guys would. The call here today is to know there is always more power available. The question is, do we want it? And what are we going to do to get that power? How, how, how hungry are you to see your coworkers find freedom? How hungry are you to see people around you be physically healed of their afflictions? I want to see that. So in this moment, we're going to have a time where we're just going to wait in the Holy Spirit just for a moment to come and to speak to you about what it is that he's calling you to do. And then we're going to have some people come forward uh, to pray for you. If you want to just receive more of the Holy Spirit now, that may not be where you're feeling led. Maybe you need to process this a little more with the Lord. There's some difficult things that I said today that maybe you need to think through. But the Holy Spirit's real. And it's to our downfall if we ignore him. And we need his help. So why don't you pray with me? And I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And then he's going to come. And the band, if you could just wait until I kind of give you the cue to sing. And then we'll sing. I'll just give you the cue. Or just, if you guys just vamp up for a minute. So, Lord, we just thank you. You are with us. The only superhero is Jesus. Who, who, Holy Spirit relied on you perfectly. So we just call on you. We need help. We want to see a revival. We want to see the greatest awakening in New England. And we don't want to believe for anything less, God, because you're big. But we need help. We need help in our own lives. We need help in interpersonal stuff. We need help to not be afraid to share the gospel, power to do it. 
So Holy Spirit, just come. I just invite you to come right now and to fall on us afresh. Fill us again with your life and your power. 